Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring the song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. We are back, baby. After a little hiatus. It has been a... How, how many weeks have we been been absent from the podcasting world? It's been a month, which is our longest thus far, but we've been podcasting for nine months now, so that's not so bad. Yeah, we deserved like a like our podcast had a baby and we needed some maternity leave. <laughs> Paternity leave, I guess, would be the the case here. But we are back. Um thank you for for staying with us. All you fans are listening right now. Both of us moved. We did. Me to uh, down the street really. Uh you across the country. That's true. Uh, but we needed some time to to get settled. We needed time to build out our our studios in our new house and apartment respectively. I could not believe when I set up my equipment yesterday that I found every little piece I needed. That's impressive. I did not. So in the last 15 <laughs> minutes, I jerry-rigged this together. So uh, I hope it all works. <laughs> it sounds good to me. Well, that's good. It might only sound good to you if it doesn't work, but I think it's working fine. Um, I feel like I've got a good episode here, uh, you know, so maybe we should just dive right in. I'm going to crack a delicious Sierra Nevada because that is the only way to celebrate us coming back. Oh. Mm. Mm. Every time. I know that Sierra Nevada is available nationwide, but I was pleased to see, and I sent you a photo of it, that the uh, there's a little market around the corner from our new place that is a bike shop and a market, and it's very cool. Nice people. Uh, I walk in. They've got a lot of local craft beers, some fun stuff, and then there's like three whole shelves of Sierra Nevada all the ones that we've been oh, drinking beautiful. and talking about. So it'll be easy. I can just walk over there if I need to. It's even more convenient than before. So if we're about to start an episode and I don't have any on hand, it's right down the street. There you go. Well, uh, you always got to stay stocked. It's a recommendation to all of you guys out there as well. Stock up in Sierra Nevada. But we are back. I felt like the last couple of songs we did, or at least some of the last couple of songs we did, were unlikely, unlikely hits. So I thought for the first episode back, we should have a song that is a little bit more of an obvious, okay. unlikely okay. hit. Uh, a song where when we first started telling people about this podcast idea, I would say there were like 10 songs that would constantly mm-hmm. come up. Uh, a couple that were just so constant, and we will get to those. But this is a song that I feel like a lot of people that I know mentioned uh, when I talked to them about the podcast idea. It's a song that I've wanted to cover since we came up with this idea. And it was, at least in my formative teenage MTV watching years, a massive hit for a very hot second. Okay. It's certainly an unlikely hit, but it's maybe not one that has as much sticking power as, as some of the other ones that have come up. But I think you'll remember it fondly. It's a song that doesn't necessarily have any deep hidden meaning, but at the same time, I don't think many people have any idea what the song is remotely about. My interest is peaked. That was quite an All intro. Right. We well, might get it now. If nothing else, if you enjoy hearing me butcher 
the pronunciation of German words, you might enjoy this episode. So without further ado, I think you might get this within the first note. Here's today's episode. Oh, yes! Du hast. Gotta wait for that breakdown. Wow. That's too funny because... Banger. I love that song. Great song. I had never considered it, and nobody has mentioned Du hast to me for the podcast really no that is interesting a lot of people have mentioned it to me and a lot it might be like two or three but there are three or four songs that constantly come up and i feel like this is like the fifth song okay that, wow. that people have mentioned a good bit and um, we are talking about the band romstein romstein i always said romstein romstein I think, well i think like every single word i'm going to pronounce today i think there's a much more german way to say any word and romstein i think is, is probably how you would kind of say it uh, I'm going to butcher all right. kinds of words. So for all one or two of our German listeners, feel free to flood the inbox. Hey, we have more than that. Do I we? just looked up our, our global, I was clicking on all the countries people are listening. We have, we have, uh, it's not a number that I can remember, but I know it's more than two. <laughs> all right, good. Well, hopefully they're listening to this one because I think they'll enjoy it. Uh, but they'll, they'll probably have a lot of, uh, suggestions. The mailbag's just going to be on the next episode. You pronounce all these words wrong. <laughs> I, I have no doubt. I, I looked up a handful of them, but you know, there's a lot. So uh, we're talking about at least the, you're self-aware. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about the band Rammstein, straight out of uh, at the time recently reunited Germany, circa 1994. This is a post-99 Love Balloons world. It is. It is. Uh, there'll be some hints of a crossover, if you will. Uh, Rammstein translates to ramming stone, which makes a lot of sense if you're if you know their music. Yeah, that's metal as shit. That is metal shit. They're actually a, uh, they're a, n- uh, new, <laughs> Deutsch Hartmann. It's like, uh, New Deutsch Vell after Nina, Nine Nine Love Balloons. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We will get to that, but, but you are, you are on it. Mm hmm. I forgot about that. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Okay. That is a connection then. Uh, this band, Rammstein, formed in 1984 in Berlin. It is led by frontman Till Lindemann. And fun fact, all of the members of the band, have stayed the same throughout their entire career. Rare for a metal band. Rare for any band that has... Metal bands are like sports teams. Metal bands that have been around for a long time, like uh, Zayo, like there are no original members left, but they've been a band for like 30 years. It's just like the Utah Jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I feel like we've covered two or three bands that have had like 47 different members over the Mm -hmm. years. So it is quite a feat that all of them have stayed the same. Uh, They're still performing today. So career that is almost 25, 30 years old right now. They're still going strong. Uh, the other members are guitarist Richard Caruspa, rhythm guitarist Paul Landers, bassist Oliver Riddell, drummer Christopher Schneider, and keyboardist Christian Flake Lorenz. Cool names all around. Great names. Great names. Prior to Rammstein, most of the members were a part of an 80s punk band titled Feeling B, which I've listened to a couple songs, and they're great. Straight ahead. 80s punk rock, all but all German lyrics, uh, but cool. musically, the super into it. Um, and fun fact on, on, on that end, on November 9th, 1989, the day that the Berlin Wall fell, Feeling B was playing in West Berlin as part of a gig endorsed by the socialist government in order to promote the eastern side. 
Christian Flake Lorenz noticed some of his friends were in the crowd that normally wouldn't be allowed to be at that show on the West Side. And that's how he figured out that the wall had been collapsed. Whoa. And uh, apparently the band was not able to return home that night because of the craziness in the streets and, and all the holes in the wall were, were so crowded. I wonder how many like pop culture butterfly effects, you know, there are from that that night. Mm. That is oh, that'd be a fun. That'd be a fun movie and story. Maybe we should we should quit the yeah, podcast maybe. game and get into to movie writing here. I also have another question about feeling B. Yeah, it's the letter B, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, are they feeling B or are they a B feeling? Like, is there feeling mm. A, feeling B, feeling C, or are they feeling the letter or the, something the letter stands for? Do we know? We don't know. It's kind of like counting crows. It's like, are they physically counting crows or are they crows that are counting? You know, I've never fully considered that question. I would say that given the nature of the rest of the, the band members and, and, and future stories about the band, I would have to assume that B represents some woman and feeling B was actually a uh, sexist type trope because there, there'll be a couple instances where uh, they they are one for uh, for theatrics, if you will. I regret asking. <laughs> but I have no idea. I have no <laughs> idea what feeling B uh, meant. Uh, I do know that the remaining members that were not a part of feeling B were uh, Lindemann and Karuspa. Mm-hmm. They were originally part of a band entitled First Arsh which uh, you could probably figure out is translated to first S. They also went by first art at the time because the German authorities were not uh, too pleased with first S being uh, near the band. Uh, from the little I listened to, including the second most popular song from Spotify entitled Big Dawn, this is very much early Rammstein. Uh, it's less heavy, uh, but it's dark and it's new agey. Uh, and all their songs are in capital letters, which is a Rammstein trope as well. So uh, this band definitely closer to what they would be. There's from. a real theme with lyrical content of songs that you cover on this this podcast. <laughs> I know. It's not on purpose. I think it lends itself well to unlikely hits, maybe. I don't know. So there are evidence of both of those bands playing at different times together. So clearly they were friendly throughout the 80s and early 90s prior to forming Rammstein. Uh, as the story goes, after First Ass broke up, Kruspa escaped to West Berlin, and he started a band called Orgasm Death Gimmick. And at the time, he was heavily influenced by U.S. M- music, especially the band Kiss. So after the Berlin Wall fell, he moved back to his hometown and reunited with his old bandmate, Till Lindman, who at the time was working as a basket weaver. Very metal. We somehow we somehow go from basket weaving to lighting herself on fire on stage, which is something that Lindman does often now and and throughout his career. They always said that basket weaving was a gateway drug. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it leads to pure destruction at some point. It, it must. It must. Uh, in addition to basket weaving, but I, not candle making. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm sure Enigma was into candle making, so that'll be our call back to a later episode. Uh, in, in addition to basket weaving, Lindman was also a promising swimmer in his youth. And at least in one article I read, it claimed that he was potentially headed to the 1980 Olympics before an injury wow. derailed that career. So talk about butterfly effects. This guy could have been many different things before being the frontman for Rammstein. Then we wouldn't have Duhast. Would not. We would, the, the world would be a very different place, in my opinion. 
So mm-hmm. the band formed around 1992, 1993. Healing B was still a band, though, at the time. So they weren't a full-fledged band until 94. From what I've read, it looked like they were putting money that they made in Feeling B into the, their new project. And they wouldn't officially become a band until 1994 when they won a local contest that allowed them to professionally record a four-song demo. And that got them at the attention of a couple of German labels, including Berlin-based Motor Music, who they would sign with quickly after the fact. Do we know much about this contest? We don't. I uh, did not dig too much into the contest. I imagine it was like a, you know, uh, a local best of bands mm-hmm. type contest, if you will. So I mentioned briefly that their name translates to Ramming Stone, mm-hmm. but there may be more to that story. There's a little bit of controversy around the, the band's name. At first, the band went by Ramstein Flugshaw or Ramstein Air Show after the 1988 Ramstein Air Show disaster. Oh in which three aircraft of the Italian Air Force display team collided in midair during their display, crashing to the ground in front of a crowd of 300,000 people. And there were 70 fatalities, 67 spectators and three of the pilots, 346 spectators sustained serious injuries from the resulting explosion and fire, and hundreds more had minor injuries. I've never heard of this, but it sounds horrific. It was horrific. Uh, At the time, it was the deadliest air show accident in history. So quite the uplifting band name. Yeah. If you're not into horrific imagery, uh, I implore you not to Google image search this one and not to watch the half an hour documentary on YouTube that I watched earlier today. (laughs) Was it interesting? Very interesting. It's just fucking horrific. (laughs) It's like, uh, you know, that's that's kind of a common metal band trope, like naming your band after horrific event. Uh, The Black Dahlia murder is a very popular metal band. The band, after it became popular, denied the connection to the air show disaster, and they said that their name was inspired by the giant doorstop-type devices found on old gates called Romsteins. Romsteins? Romsteins? But their name used to have... (laughs) Well, well, so the band, the band, Romstein, has two M's, where the city where the air show disaster took place has one M, and Romstein, the old doorstop type gate thing has two m's which might explain what about the that. second word but, though <laughs> but but there was a time when paul landers uh the guitarist said the spelling of romstein with an extra m was a mistake the extra m uh in the band's name though does literally mean ramming stone which is where we are today okay i assume that it probably has something to do with the air disaster <laughs> then they got some bad publicity and swept it under the rug okay as I mentioned, uh, the band is described as uh, New Deutsch Hart, which, as you mentioned, is a reference to New Deutsch Welle, uh, New German Wave, a genre of Western rock music originally derived from post-punk and new wave music with electronic influences in the late 70s and 80s. So New Deutsch Hart, or NDH for short, uh, is a crossover style of that old genre with alternative metal and groove metal, combining it with elements of electro, industrial, and techno. So okay. NDH was actually coined by a music press after a 95 release of Rammstein's second album, our first album, Harzelid. Mm. Uh, so they're pi- pioneers. They are pioneers. So they, they along with the band Oomph, uh, are, are the pioneers of this new style of music. So pretty bad. Oomph is a great band. One great band name. I was not familiar with them, but I listened to some tracks today, and it's kind of like a more poppy, fun version of Rammstein. 
I'm really into it. So okay, it's like mm-hmm. it's like Rammstein on ecstasy. I thought it was pretty great. Uh, <laughs> check that out if you have free time. Industrial metal was already pretty popular in the U.S. though, right? At this point, it would have been. Time? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of bleed over with, like industrial metal into like what would be quote unquote new metal. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I think the fact that industrial metal, new metal, uh, moving towards the 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 corns and the you know, deftones mm-hmm. of the world certainly opened the door to. Well, we'd already had Nine Inch Nails and KMFDM, and which are actually uh, both sort of those bands we will reference in just a okay. second. So well done, well done. Romstein's first album, which cover uh, is them shirtless in front of a blooming flower, is uh, very nineties, but also uh not the type of music that i would expect i'm gonna send you a picture of this please do i was gonna say drop it in the chat yeah it feels very feels very 90s boy band-esque and not very (laughs) industrial metal-esque okay this is great actually it looks like it would be a red hot chili peppers album cover yeah that's a good point yes yeah it's them shirtless uh looking like just bros uh, in front of like a weird bloom they're growing out uh inside of a flower so this album was released after they had signed with uh, Motor Music, which is the Berlin-based mm-hmm. label that they signed to after their demo tape. Uh, another fun aside, after signing with Motor Music, the band was instructed to search for a producer. And it's a position that they didn't even know anything about, since it wasn't usual in East Germany. So they first suggested Bob Rock and Rick Rubin, and the label asked them to be less ambitious. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which, to be fair... <laughs> If you don't know what something like a role exists and someone says, you know, pick someone to do this role, you're going to like search and find the best one possible and be like, yeah, that one. So get get Bruce Dickinson over to Germany to produce this record for us. Well, the role was ultimately assigned to Jacob Hellner, who was a Swedish producer. And that led the band to recording this album in Sweden. Apparently, there was a lot of disagreement throughout the entire recording process, which it sounds like that's just a kind of a thing that they like. They like to have. You know, some, some disagreements with their producers and fight over songs and hash it out. The very German way of doing things. Uh, or Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. Metal in general. Uh, it was made more difficult because uh, the band did not speak Swedish and, and the producer did not speak German. So it was left to a Dutch okay. engineer to translate and be the middleman. Uh, that that engineer is... Uh, Everyone's just yelling in different languages and the engineer's just like... I don't know, guys. Well, you're saying the same things at each other. The engineer is quoted saying it took them seven days to finish the first song due to the band's constant (laughs) disapproval of Hellner's inputs. Apparently, every time there was a decision to be made, the band members would host uh, what the producer called a German conference, which is an outdoor meeting that could last from 10 minutes to two hours (laughs) until all six members reached an agreement. Just picture that like things are getting heated. They're like, all right, German conference. We'll see you outside. No Swedes allowed. They they do work with Helner later in their career again, I think multiple times. So uh, as dysfunctional as it was, it clearly worked. So the first album, uh, initially a dud, but the band quickly started building a, a loyal fan base and, and gaining popularity both inside Germany and all throughout Europe because of their absurd live shows. Uh, it, so this band is is heavy into their theatrics uh, tons of pyrotechnics, uh, tons of, of weird theatrics, like many bands we've covered here um, that are kind of avant-garde, if you will. 
uh, I read that fans used to have a motto, which was other bands play Rammstein Burns. Okay. A player Man of War's song Kings mm-hmm. of Metal, which states that other bands play Man of War Kill. Um, they used to do all their own pyrotechnics, by the way. As an Seems aside. safe. Uh, but following an incident in Berlin in September 20th, uh, 27th, 1996, uh, in which some burning decorative parts of the stage collapsed, the band started using professionals to hire pyrotechnics. And Lindman himself, the front man, uh, qualified to be a licensed pyrotechnician so that he could light himself on fire uh, while That's on stage. That's a good use of education. Yeah. Uh, as you would not be surprised, he suffered multiple burns uh, <laughs> throughout his career. Um, and he, uh, I read that he once opted to have a surgical incision made in his cheek so that he could stick a light bulb through it for one of their other videos. So quite the attention to detail. Wow. Uh, have you seen the video with the light bulb? Uh, you know, I actually didn't end up watching it. It was on my list of to do, mm. but why don't we do it together? Uh, let me find it real quick. <laughs> We're checking out the light bulb, folks. It's real heavy. Oh, they got treadmills on stage. That's interesting. Uh, I think he's got the light bulb in his mouth currently. I guess he'd stick the wire through his cheek, I guess, right? Yeah. Oh, that's actually very cool. There are other ways to do this. Like there are battery operated lights. There are Probably a CGI way to do this. Solar lights. Like they, maybe not back then though. I don't know when this was. Two thousand nine. He did not need to do this. <laughs> kind of a cool song. Yeah, they're, they have some great tunes. Actually, yeah, I really was not terribly familiar with their back catalog. But. I I know maybe three or four songs. Well, they've been they have many more hits. So or they do have many more hits. We'll get to that. Album one. Okay. Not a huge success. They're touring Germany and Europe, building a loyal fan base little by little. Uh, one big fan that they had, as you mentioned earlier, was Trent Reznor. Okay. Who was the music director for David Lynch's film Lost Highway. Oh. And he put two of their songs from the first album onto that soundtrack. Heiderat Meech and Rammstein, the song, with one M. Both of those were on the soundtrack, as I mentioned, and probably a good thing to point back to when when Duhas makes its way across the ocean. Uh, I have to believe that 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 was semi helpful in kind of opening the door to the band kind of taking off in the U.S. Yeah, I mean David David Lynch soundtrack in the '90s is a big deal. Yeah. And I read, I found, and Trent Reznor. And uh, well, I found one article. I cannot terribly confirm this, but it was a Billboard article, so seems legitimate uh that apparently the band was in talks with david lynch about doing one of their music videos but schedules did not align mm. which that could be very cool i could i could see that working out <laughs> yeah so similarly to the cherry pop and daddies calling their first album a greatest hits album prior to romstein's second release the band played a quote-unquote anniversary show entitled 100 years of romstein which <laughs> <laughs> i mentioned because one that's just badass and That's two, awesome. apparently Moby was at that show. And you oh. know, I don't miss an opportunity to mention Moby on the podcast. Of course. <laughs> so I just have to throw that in there. So the, the growing popularity of the band brings us to their second album, Song Such, Song Suck, which means desire in German. This was released in August of 1997. And this album cover is much more of what you'd expect from the band Rammstein. Uh, let me show you. There, there are actually six different versions of this cover. The one that you see uh, mainly is the cover featuring the lead singer, although every band member has their own cover. Oh, okay. 
That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's them in like oh yeah old oh. school surgical masks yep. having their face like pulled apart. Yeah, uh, it's very goth, very new metal. I've only seen the one with the singer. I think it was a it was probably like an opening the booklet kind kind of thing. Um, but I did read on a couple different links yeah. that there were six different versions of it. Uh, I just don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd only ever seen that first one, which is the lead singer. And I see. I see. They they have a poster with all of them on it. It's it's like uh, it looks like a sadomasochist version of Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. That's a great way to. Uh, if I was a band, I'd appreciate that uh, connection. <laughs> this album takes off in Germany and throughout Europe in, in general. It does be go number one in Germany pretty quickly. I think within two weeks. Uh, Angle is the first song off the album. And then Duhast is the follow-up single in Germany and throughout Europe. And because of this, they do uh, many sellout shows all throughout Europe uh, before embarking on their first U.S. tour late in 1997. And they're opening for the band KMFDM, which you mentioned earlier. Oh. I was mm-hmm. not familiar with them. Are they, are they German sure. as well? They are German. Whenever I think of industrial metal, that's I think of them. So after their initial U.S. tour, they go back to Europe for another tour, handful of sold-out dates. Uh, and then the next time they return to the U.S. is in the summer of 1998 to perform on the Fame Values Tour, which was led by Korn and featured Limp Biscuit and Ice Cube. And who else was on the tour? There's a lot of... Oh, I can tell you. Uh, uh, did you go? Because I didn't, but Family Values Tour is how I found out who Rammstein was. Okay. Interesting. So I had the compilation CD after the family values tour they did like a live album i had that too where they, yeah, yeah, yeah where it was yeah. like three songs from each band uh and it was corn limp biscuit ice cube cypress hill i think Ramstein, orgy i think was on that as well yeah, yeah orgy was definitely on there and then uh one song by incubus interesting was on there uh and I have been an Incubus fan for a very long time, and that's the first time I'd ever heard Incubus, oh, wow. too. But it was like one of their like older, more metal sort of songs when they were more of a metal band. Um, but I remember Rammstein being on that compilation, and I I, I think Duhast is on... Is it Duhast that's on that? It had to have been. And I, I think it's Duhast and like one other song. And I just remember thinking... This sounds fucking crazy. <laughs> this shit is insane. It, would, it, it is. <laughs> argue, but yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because I had a lot of, I had a hard time figuring out when this song charted and when it peaked. And we'll, and we'll get to the chart history and I'll explain why I had such a difficult time figuring it out. Um, but the album came out in August 1997 in Germany. I believe it came out shortly thereafter in the US. But they don't play the Family Values tour until summer of 98, and it doesn't end up on the Matrix soundtrack until summer of, or the, uh, the spring of 1999, which also helped put it into the stratosphere okay. of popularity here in the U.S. So it's hard to know exactly when this song would have popped at any one point. Uh, they performed for, they toured for four years after the, the release of this album in support of this album. So theoretically, it could have popped in the U.S. late 98, 99. Um, and still very much been within their their touring cycle. Uh, and I'll explain later why it's a little bit shady. But we will get into the, the song itself now. Um, the song, do you have any idea what the song is actually about? Uh, 
somebody hating someone. <laughs> okay. What makes you say that? Because everyone who listened to this on their disc man on the school bus would be like, you know what he's saying? He's saying you hate me. Interesting. So, yeah, the song is essentially a riff of a traditional wedding vow. And it's also a player in words. It's uh, more specifically a homophone because duhost spelled in two different ways. So a homophone is a spelling of a word is well, sounds the same, but the word means two different things. So duhost spelled with one S mm-hmm. means to have and duhost spelled with two S's means to hate. So while the song is like a wedding vow between two people, it can easily be read as two people who are getting married and hate each other or have each other. Interesting. So it's kind of a player in words, which I think is actually really cool. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. So uh, there is an English version, which does put more emphasis on the hate part, which is probably where... I don't think I've ever heard the English It's a little bit hard to find. Uh, We'll we'll pull it up here in a second. It sounds like it's stupid. It is stupid. It loses the whole meaning of the song. Exactly. And it also kind of, like most translation songs, like, just ruins the the cadence so to speak because it's i mean mm-hmm. nine loose balloons is a great example of that it just there's no way to put the actual yeah, words and and have, didn't it have the energy yeah yeah exactly so most versions that you'll hear are the the full german version but i listen to the half english version because it's both english and german i vaguely remembered it but i also might have just been you know hearing some you know, knowing that I was hate and kind of putting those words in there. But the vowel portion, mm-hmm. and here's where I'm really going like, to bluster my, my German. We can, we, can, we can edit this later and you can throw in the actual lines here. Um, the vowel portion, Willis du bist der Tod entsteidet, truth on floor al tag, roughly translates to something along the lines of, do you want until death separates you to be faithful to her all your days? Okay. Which I think that line... And and that kind of cadence is a, a wedding vow, a traditional wedding mm-hmm. vow in Germany. So folks would be familiar with that. Uh, later, it, it differs slightly in the song. And uh, in the penultimate frame, Twill switches it up and says, changing words differently, I'm not going to say it again. Uh, but depending on where you apply certain stresses in the sentence, it can mean, do you want her until death separates you and also love her during your bad days? Or it could mean, do you want her until the death of the vagina and also love her during her bad days? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one article I read was quoted saying, coming from the man who 12 years later wrote a song with the chorus, you've got a pussy, I have a dick, so what's the problem? Let's do it quick. Our money is the one that's your translation. That sounds like a Bloodhound Gang song. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> That quote is in reference to the 2009 hit, hit that came number one in Germany, entitled <laughs> "Pussy." <laughs> wow! So, is it is it in English or in German? It's in German. Uh, let, let me, I can play it for you real quick. Uh, the, the, what, wait, what is the actual name of the song? Uh, it's well, it's, it's translated to "pussy." Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, I linked to the song. Actually, I didn't know if I found the. Oh, you know what? Uh, I found a link to the the actual video. I thought it was actually kind of stupid. Um, in, in Germany, it was, it was a bit controversial because the video featured hardcore pornography. I don't know that if I saw uh, a dumb, dulled down version of it. To me, it was it must have been because uh, I didn't think anything was too controversial about it. But I did find this live performance of it. Uh, it was the kids' bop version. 
So here's a live version of, of the song Pussy for You. Uh, and you'll see in this clip that I, I stopped it at is him riding a very phallic object, spraying something on the ground. <laughs> oh, this looks familiar. Again, right? Very Bloodhound getting ass. Or uh, Cherry Pop and Daddies. Oh, yes, yes, they, yes. They had the... Uh, they had the... You're right, that's who it was. Lawnmower with the... This is a way higher production value. This, this is, like is definitely crazy. In this is like a... Stadium. This is... This is like a genitalia space show. The, uh, also getting getting big Guar vibes. Oh, yeah. I bet they were huge welcome. Except Guar is a little, a little more... This is like, <laughs> he was very serious up there. I think they are pretty comedic, though. This may be a bad example, but I think... Yeah, I'll... it's hard to tell because they're German. That's fair. The full kind of uh, chorus to that song is, uh, you've got a pussy, I have a dick, so what's the problem? Let's do it quick. So take me now before it's too late. Life's too short, so I can't wait. Take me now. Oh, don't you see? I can't get laid in Germany. Okay. I have a lot of questions <laughs> I'm not going to ask. Very, uh... Sing songy. Okay, back to Duhast. So Richard Karuspa, Karuspa, Karusp, uh was quoted at one point, not necessarily denying the the vowel story, but broadening out a bit and saying that this song is actually a bit. Uh, this song is actually about a kind of loyalty. We see Romstein like a kind of family. We have a strong awareness, a strong sense of tradition in this band. And for me, the song is a bit like a promise of faith we know from weddings. That's kind of been integrated into this family. I think it's like, you know, it's it's a, a bit of a player in the wedding vow thing, but it's also maybe means more to them. Overall, you know, if we go down the wedding vow route, there's a constant refrain of them saying no over and over again. So it, it has to be a sort of like combative, like, do you take this woman to be your bride? No. Do you take this, you know, in, your, in sickness and health? No. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, a, it's a maybe like an anti-wedding song. Uh, I don't know, but I'll, all I do know is that when I was 12 years old or whenever I was listening to the song, I did not even think twice about the lyrics. I just knew there was some weird German song. I remember specifically like uh, this song being very popular in my school. I think because people found it. It's almost like it was like purposefully abrasive. Where, like, you may not like it, but you know your mom hates it. Yeah. And so they would, like, sh- you know, you would share it with other other kids. And everyone was talking about, they were like, yeah, he's just saying, you hate me. And it's <laughs> like, it seemed very, like, purposefully aggressive and badass. And, like, mom's going to get mad if I'm listening to this in my room. Like, that's, that's how it felt. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there is certainly part of that. I think it's a great song though too. And I think it's 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 infectious. Oh yeah. I mean it holds up for sure. I mean I thought it was a cool song then, but I was also sure into some heavier music. And I remember a lot of kids who I don't think were also like yeah, this I, song. I, at the time I was not into as heavy music as this. Definitely not. I think I grew to to really appreciate rock and metal and, and such later in my life, but I I was just a fan of the song. I was definitely one of those TRL kids who was very happy with this song falling in between InSync and 
Blink One. Was this song on and, TRL? Oh, absolutely. Holy was. shit! This video is huge for MTV. Oh my god! I remember it being on there, but like, we this being on TRL. We will jump into the video in, now. The this, video. This is nineteen ninety nine. This song came out ninety eight. Well, it came out ninety seven in Germany. I don't okay. think it would have been popular in the U.S. until ninety eight. Okay, at the earliest. So, I mean, just like late nineties TRL. Like I know that in a, in you know a year or two some like pop punk would end up on there and like some like Limp Biscuit and shit. But like, this is totally different. This is, well, corn would have been on there and I yeah, think corn definitely the opened the door. Thing. Yeah. Corn opened the door for Limp Biscuit and I think for Romstein and clearly because they were on the, on the family values tour. But even like corn is way heavier than Limp Biscuit. They are. But I think the fact that they're, they're really, more serious, they're more serious, but they're also really more theatrical and, and fun, which makes for great videos. Right, yeah. I think that's a big part of this. So let's jump into the video. Uh, I read one article saying that this video was so popular on MTV, or it took off so quickly that it uh, it bumped off a brand new Smashing Pumpkins song that was supposed to go under rotation. And I I didn't look into it too much more. (laughs) I don't know what song that would have been. But I'm sure the Pumpkins and their label were not too happy that this random German band was... Knocking them out. Oh, you know, Billy Corgan is petting a cat right now, drinking tea, going, fucking Rammstein. <laughs> that music video, they knocked us out. First frame. I, I'm like, the back all to came sitting in my parents' in. living mm-hmm. room. <laughs> <laughs> the I, only thing I remember from this video, when I thought back on it before watching it, was I remember there being some big explosion. And uh, I think... He, they would be very okay with that being my one takeaway. At the beginning of the song, when those big, I don't know what they are, like giant, just giant drums come in, man, it's just so like menacing sounding. It really is, which fits very well with this video. It the does. video itself is very menacing. There's the a video car. looks a lot like uh, like a David Fincher film. Definitely, yeah. It was uh, popular at the time because I think Seven had just come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the video's high high contrast very late 90s it was such the trope back then so the video is super dark super white the video is directed by philip stoltz who uh he's done a lot of romstein videos as well as other german band videos but he's very he has directed a fuck ton of operas and a handful of films since this so definitely cinematic interesting uh, but cinematic from a very like uh interesting perspective okay i could see it i mean also, even this song is kind of operatic in some ways. Yeah. The the main character in this uh, in this opera, if you will, is a drummer, uh, Christoph Doom Schneider. Which I read that Christoph Schneider was already copyright. Well, when he went to copyright some of the songs that he was writing, um, Christoph Schneider mm-hmm. was already an artist. So he chose to put his favorite video game in as his middle name. Okay. <laughs> Uh, the main guy yelling in your face during this whole thing, uh, that would be Tillman or, or Till Liedman. This scene in particular with all the guys beating up, you know, the antagonist, I guess, is very Reservoir Dogs. They're dressed, dressed like those guys and some of the close ups and stuff remind me of that movie. Yeah, definitely. It's very 90s, but in like things about the 90s that have aged well. Yeah. I, I like that take. It's not very corny. It's a pretty great video. Pretty badass. Very entertaining. There's someone on fire. It's it's not Rammstein unless someone's on fire. <laughs> yeah, and I assume that is probably Till. 
I mean, why why would you hire a pyrotechnician if you can be one yourself? <laughs> why convince somebody to let you light them on fire when you regularly light yourself on fire? To be fair, if I could professionally do that and do it well, I would probably do it at every party. <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> Hopefully a pool party. Yeah, fair. This band in particular, because they spoke a different language than a lot of the fan base, probably more thoughtful about this. But I think every metal band, to a certain extent, recognizes that their songs either don't make sense because like it's not really about anything they're just you know they're, mm-hmm. they're making songs and or that maybe it's a little more difficult to understand it's, it's it's not lyrical driven it's not meaning driven so for them it's about the music and then it's about like the theatrics around the music yeah um kind of like smells like teen spirit actually since that episode i, I mm-hmm. heard some quote from from dave Grohl saying that like if you want to make a song popular just make a video of you smashing up your high school and does the trick so whatever the song might have been the video yeah. really helped it propelled it into to you know the fan <laughs> that we you know it but uh i'm sorry Kruspa, uh, uh mentioned uh was quoted as uh it's interesting all my my quotes come from him so i wonder if the other guys just don't speak for the band much but uh he was quoted as saying you have to understand that 99 percent of the people don't understand the lyrics so you have to come up with something to keep the drama in the show we have to do something we like to have a show. We like to play with fire. We do have a sense of humor. We do laugh about it. We have fun, but we're not Spinal Tap. We take the music and the lyrics seriously. It's a combination of humor, theater, and our East German culture, you know? Yeah. So I think it's an interesting way to put it, and that certainly explains, like, kind of where they're coming from. I mean, that's such a great formula for global popularity. Yeah. Do we have much of a blueprint of how this song got this popular in the U.S.? Or other countries we don't i think in other countries at least throughout europe the band was propelled with their stage show that clearly won a lot of fans over mm-hmm. it got people into the music got people into their, their first album and i think the second album just kind of flowed from there as far as coming over to the u.s i couldn't find any information on which radio stations were playing it first kind of how it came to be uh it does seem i mean i think the david lynch trent reznor connection has something to do with it but i think more so there has to be more with like corn. Yeah, corn. The Family Values tour. There has to be something about like that connection that really brought them in the mainstream. I mean, that that tour and album were so huge. I mean, that might have been it's very possible that, you know, Corn or one of their buddies toured in Europe, played with this band. They're like, these guys are fucking nuts. We're bringing them to US. Like that's that's I think that's a big part possible. of it. I would love to say that there's, there's probably something about that like i would i love that like a friend mm-hmm. you know band band plays the band wants to, you know, the other band to come through um it could also be a lot more clinical they mm-hmm. i mean this band was huge in germany mm-hmm. uh which is a big music market uh clearly you're breaking out of germany they're becoming very big in, in, throughout europe i mean then that's uh, the next frontier is north america from what i found after the second album universal picks them up in the u.s and releases their next album however i didn't find any information that universal picked him up prior to that to distribute this album i have to assume that they did so i think it could be as simple as that i mean this is this, that this cd was everywhere somebody had to be doing that yeah. heavy lifting in america yeah and you know modern rock and active rock are pretty especially at the time you know there's a very like loyal fan base to those radio stations in the u.s and still this day mm-hmm. but there were just more of them back in the day that i have mm-hmm. to assume that some label came in got got their payola going 
and and just grease the bombs and 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 the song's just good it's just a banger it's just like with with the yeah it's, it's totally got that, like you said it's got that like military drum beat it has this like weird video mm-hmm. game synth to it which is intoxicating and it's just a good song regardless of the lyrics it's almost like the lyrics are an instrument into themselves and it's just a hard-hitting fun lick for sure it's very percussive and german in general is a very percussive language it's very heavy on syllables totally works with heavy music and drums and i feel like if there is to be a foreign language uh metal song that gets popular in the u.s like german's a perfect language for that yeah they're actually i read a couple things that um they do write a lot of their songs in english first really and then they sing them in german because german is just a better language it's more it's more literal it's more yeah yeah i don't (laughs) think this was one of them but i think maybe some of the later songs and then don't make an english version (laughs) yeah they don't have a lot of english stuff english sucks it's not it's not as not as musical of a language there was a, a point where Till Lindemann said that writing Armstein songs in English is like asking the Buddha to kill a pig or something. <laughs> wow. So, you know, he, he was loyal to his, his home language. To, to, to answer your question, I, don't, there, I could not find how the song really took off in the U.S., uh, but it does seem like once it, once it hit, it did. Uh, but only to a certain extent, uh, chart history-wise, mm-hmm. as I've mentioned a couple times, huge in Germany, huge throughout Europe. Uh, hitting number one in, in, in a couple different countries, definitely top 10 in many countries. It apparently only peaked here or number 20 on the mainstream rock song chart. So it didn't even get top 10 on the mainstream rock chart. I don't believe it got anywhere on the Hot 100 at any point during their career. The reason I'm having such a hard time finding this is because uh, unless you pay Billboard a boatload of money, you only have access to every every week's hot 100 chart you don't have access necessarily to the rest of the charts but what you do have access to is it will show you the highest peak position of any song so the problem here is that uh while peaked at number 20 on the rock charts at some point in 1997 1998 it also later on the road it peaked at number two on the world digital song sales october 24 2015 why this must have been around like I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But like a commercial it, or a movie or it must have been. But it clouds all the other data because that's the one that keeps coming up as a top link. Interesting. Because that's the peak position. At one time, it peaked number two somewhere in the U.S. It just happened to be on a chart. Uh, for future reference, I have a Billboard Biz account. Oh, son of a bitch! Not send that shit over. We mentioned them on every episode. We probably mentioned Billboard more than we mentioned Sierra Nevada. <laughs> right. All right. Well, maybe you can find out for me then, because from what I can find out, it looks like it would have peaked at number 20 on the mainstream rock charts or not. Maybe the week of October, was it October 17th or 18th, 1997. Uh, well, we hadn't run into this. Usually I found all the chart info I, I needed. Well, usually the songs we talk about are actually hits. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is well, an actual hit. It, I was surprised that this actually didn't chart higher. I mean, on the on the mainstream rock, it kind of makes sense though. For mainstream rock, like it's still really heavy. Would this have been pre-active rock charts? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it took off. All right, it did. But playing it on the radio would have been scary. Just like Smells Like Teen Spirit, they'd only play it at night. Mainstream rock, September nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight. Right, so there's your answer. Family Value Store is the answer. Number twenty four. This is why the song is popular. Tour started June that year, 
it clearly would have been pushing the charts up, peaking at September after the tour. Peaked at number 20. Yeah, such a mysterious band. We can't even find the chart. Both popping during this time. Number one, I Lie in the Bed I Make by Brother Kane. I don't think I know that song. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Maybe I do. Uh, Number two is a Kenny Wayne Shepherd song. (laughs) Uh, We've got Creed, Wallflower. Oh, Wallflower's Heroes. Their David Bowie cover Uh, from the Godzilla soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, By the way, when I told you I went to the record store today and they they didn't have that War on Drugs record, I saw like 30 copies of the new Wallflowers album. Oh, didn't, didn't um, know they had one. It's actually really good. Oh. Uh, it's, it's on New West. They went indie. Oh. Anyway. Uh, dude. Okay. We're talking industrial metal hits at that time. Stabbing Westward, Save Yourself. <laughs> I mean, that is like, I feel like the cheesiest industrial rock. I think they're from Chicago. Pearl Jam Wishlist, Fuel by Metallica, one of the worst oh, Metallica it's songs. Fun, it's kind of fun. Aerosmith, Aer- it is Aerosmith, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Oh, the Smashing Pumpkins song you were talking about was, I was trying to remember what album that would have been. It was uh, Ava Adore oh. was the song. Oh, the Van Halen song with the the third oh, so singer. This chart is I forget all his name. over the place. Ra- oh, Rage Against the Machine is, is right above Rammstein. Okay. This is pre-active so, rock, which I feel like the, the the billboard lists now are so splintered, they're so niche that you can get a number one in your like small subgenre. Yeah. Much easier than you could have back in this generation. Cause I'm thinking about like me growing up in Philly. I would have been listening to Wild wow 100 where half these songs would have been played. I'm not sure they would have played Armstein. Maybe MMR would have. It's interesting now because this, maybe this band in America at least was purely fueled by the video MTV and the Family Value Store. And then a few stations were willing to, and probably after the Matrix, a few stations were willing to, they were getting requests. The label was bugging them like, hey, play it. We know it's heavy. Not so dissimilar to Smells Like Teen Spirit, where a few stations, we were talking about pop stations with that, but like a few few stations are willing to take the risk to be brave, to defy the, the suits, to go against their better judgment, play it in a does well but there are some stations that just aren't going to play it it's yeah. foreign language it's heavier than what they normally play it's very abrasive they can be playing matchbox 20 and the wallflowers cover of heroes instead <laughs> but yeah this you know there are a lot of songs we've talked about that are you can really point to radio being a huge part of their success this definitely not one of those bands definitely not one of those songs at least not in the u.s the scene in the Matrix where it plays is that is it the, the club scene? That I don't know. I don't remember that. Huh. It's been years since the Matrix. Oh, it's great. Uh, Jamie and I saw it in the theater like five years ago. It was fucking great. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was very. Yeah, fun. I would go to the theater it was and watch it. Again. Very fun. I've, I feel like I've drilled you with questions about this song. I've been very curious. It's been so interesting. Yeah. It, but it's a great song. Um, you know, I, I don't have too much more. There's also a lot of mystery this. around it, which I kind of love. Like, there is a lot of mystery like, on this band. Usually, we really have like a trajectory of like, okay, like this is how this happened, and this song is like this. This seems like a band that would be shrouded in mystery. They just kind of appeared. Yeah, and honestly, there's there's not a it, this maybe be because of translation issues, but there's not like a ton. I, I didn't find a ton of like quotes from them interviews from them explaining anything it doesn't really maybe it's a german interview thing more than not but no one's been like so what was the you know inspiration behind the song like 
we have so many like your cliche interview questions like there's just not a lot of that around where are they now uh the band is still very active they i still see romstein shirts and shit well yeah but i mean that's like you know you go you go through williamsburg that that stuff probably worth a pretty penny nowadays (laughs) uh but no uh after their second album they released multiple albums since uh many of which have been number one had had many hit songs on them uh throughout europe especially in germany uh but they they continue to be uh, a popular band uh they released their seventh studio album which was untitled in may 2019 uh which reached number one in germany um only seven albums in that time that's kind of impressive yeah well i mean they toured for four years take their time after their second album yeah it makes sense so they're they're a touring band um if you're interested in seeing them live they are doing a a, a stadium tour next summer um i am very interested in seeing well you're gonna have a hard time because majority of the tour is sold out uh so they are still selling out stadiums all throughout europe and the band is still quite popular the fuck yeah good for them i would love to see him live though holy shit but yeah all right you know that that is the the story beyond armstein's duhast uh hopefully i did the journey as far as we know as far as we know hopefully the german people and your pronunciations uh some justice i'd say this is probably our most mysterious episode and it's kind of how it felt i mean i was a kid so i wasn't maybe wasn't hyper aware of how pop culture is is throughout the country but it just felt like it showed up. It was like suddenly everyone loves Duhast. How did this happen? <laughs> there wasn't like a very an internet that had that they shown the progression. I mean, you look at like a side Gangnam style, you can like see the progression of how it comes mm. to America and becomes a giant hit where you're right. Like just like uh, superstars and movie stars of old, like you didn't know anything about their life. So they seemed so mysterious when you saw them in a movie screen because you had no access to anything other than that. So we were at a time when, yeah, this weird German band comes over, this German song comes out, it's fucking huge and heavy and wild, and there's, like, there's no clear progression. You 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 can do little, I mean, what, infancy of the internet, to look into, like, who the fuck this band is and, and what their story is over there. So it just seems like, you know, from afar and from out of nowhere, almost. Oh, man. Well, thank you for uh, bestowing the Duha story upon me. It's good to be back. What a what a what a song to come back with. We're coming in with a battering ram. That's exactly a ramming stone, if you we will. We are we are back, and we'll be we'll be covering songs for you more often now that we have our studios set back up. Um, we appreciate everyone's grace, but at the same time, this is a hobby, so <laughs> we might have breaks from time to time. Yeah, exactly. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting that song out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at ywahpod at gmail.com. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time. 